Scripture lesson today comes from the book of Acts chapter 13 as we continue the story of the Holy Spirit on the move through the world. Let's share in God's good word together. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a member of the court of Herod the ruler, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. It is time to answer our calling. The time is now to hear God move in the power of the resurrected Jesus and move out in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're continuing our series in the book of Acts. Today we come to chapter 13, right in the heart of the good news of the Spirit moving to the world. Now last week, uh, we finished up our story in the Syrian Antioch. In the Bible here, there are going to be two Antiochs. Uh, The first one, where the church is, is Syrian Antioch found in the book of Acts chapter 12. And in that story last week, we learned that an angel freed Peter from prison. It looked like Peter was dead. He was going to die. He was chained by guards and it looked terrible for him. King Herod Agrippa had put him there. And an angel helps him escape. And because he's escaped, King Herod then has those guards that were guarding him killed, had them put to death. This was a terrible time of persecution for the church. And in Rome... And and all the Roman guards, it was terrible for them as well. Because if they didn't do their job perfectly, they got killed. So Peter escapes and he runs to the church. They had been praying fervently for him. And he knocks on the gate and Rhoda greets him. And then kind of forgets that he's there, goes and tells people. And then they all come back. And and Peter says, hey, I'm free. I'm going to hand the keys of the Jerusalem church over to Jesus' little brother James. Here you go. And then he disappears. We don't even really know where he went. He's not going to show back up until Acts chapter 15. And in the midst of all this chaos, Peter is freed. Uh, King Herod dies. Uh, Peter goes and and goes away. And and things are in chaos and in turmoil and persecution. And in the midst of all of that, at the end of chapter 12, it says this, that the church grows and prospers in spite of all that chaos. In verse 24, it says this exactly. But the word of God continued to advance and gain adherence. The church is on the move even in the most difficult of times. Today, I have the great pleasure uh, of having with us Reverend Dr. Victor McCullough. Um, Victor is a great friend and a great mentor of mine. Uh, He is the missional strategist and district superintendent of the Heartland District of the Oklahoma United Methodist Church. He received his doctorate from Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C., and his Master of Divinity from the Interdenominational Theological Center of Atlanta, and his bachelor's degree from the University of Texas, Arlington. Victor was the senior pastor of Mount Zion United Methodist Church for nearly nine years in the greater New Orleans area before moving to Oklahoma and leading the historic Quail United Methodist Church of Oklahoma City beginning in June of 2006. I've come to love Victor as my mentor, as I said, as my big brother in Christ. He blesses me each and every time. We connect either in person or by phone or lately even on Zoom. Victor has been married now for 34 years to Nancy McCullough, an educator and elder also in the Oklahoma United Methodist Church of our annual conference, and they are parents of four young adults. Uh, Victor's favorite quote is, What does it profit one to gain the whole world 
and lose one soul. Let's welcome Reverend Dr. Victor McCullough. Welcome, Victor. It's a great joy to have you with us. Mark, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you very much for the invitation. Um, it comes at a, a, a time where we have a lot of interesting things going on in our world. And so um, it's a privilege and a pleasure just to, uh, to be here and uh, spend time in conversation. This is a little different for me, but I hope, uh, you know, well, I trust that the Holy Spirit will be in the midst of us. Amen. Me too. And I uh, appreciate you being in my life over a number of years now. And having lived in Edmond, I know uh, you know your way around um, our community. And I'm just so grateful for your presence. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I love this church. I, I really do. Uh, this church has been one of our uh, stellar churches. Uh, I think not only in the Oklahoma Annual Conference, but certainly uh, in all of Methodism. Um, so you've done a great work here, you and uh, Chantel and the great staff and the members of this church. So we're very, very proud of you. I, I don't call you my little brother in Christ for nothing. <laughs> well, thank you. We really appreciate it. Yeah. And um, we'll see what the Lord, how the Lord leads us as we get into Acts 13 today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's okay. All right. Well, this week uh, we do show up into Acts 13. And what we find there is that Antioch has now replaced Jerusalem as the center uh, of the church's mission. And now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a member of the court of Herod, the ruler, and Saul. And, and this is really interesting to me. And Victor, I'm looking to you for some help here. Um, because in Acts 10, uh, God shows no partiality. Peter's done that whole thing with Cornelius. It's repeated again in chapter 11. And then there's no partiality, but somehow, you know, the word Niger means black. Yeah. And so he's just called really like black man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's important, Mark, because uh, what we see in this particular text and the reason I love it so much is that it does show. It shows that uh, uh, the biblical world is not necessarily supposed to be the proverbial melting pot. You know, it's more like, uh, and let me go back to old Texas word, it's like uh, the old stew pot. Uh, I believe that God is interested in not um, minimizing our differences, but acknowledging them. And so what I get out of that text is not some type of offense because it, uh, uh, the character is uh, identified as the black or black man. What I get out of there is that this is multi-ethnic leadership from Jump Street. <laughs> what I love about this is that in a world that is still fundamentally divided in so many ways, uh, you know, we're divided economically, we're divided uh, spiritually, religiously, denominationally, you know, and we're certainly divided by race. Um, it's a highlight to look at a scripture and see how, you know, uh, the dynamic leadership at a place called Antioch of all places is made up of people, two people from Africa, a person that also comes from the king's court, you know, um, and probably had a little bank 
along the way. Yeah. Uh, and then it had Paul and Silas, you know, one from Cyprus, one from Tarsus. And so that means that uh, in Acts 13, we have a model of leadership that is multi-ethnic, multicultural, uh, that is diverse in uh, economics, diverse socially, and diverse spiritually or from religious backgrounds as well. Yeah. So while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So, so they fast, they pray, they send them out. And, and now, interestingly, Barnabas and Paul have replaced Peter and John as the primary witnesses to Jesus. It's moved from Jerusalem up to Antioch, and even the major players um, are shifting in this. Paul proclaims the word of God. And so often, I think, um, particularly in you know, our suburban setting uh, in the West, we think that when we do what the Lord asks us to do, that somehow everything gets easier, everything gets right. And over and over again in the Gospels, um, and certainly in the book of Acts, when you do what God asks you to do, oftentimes you're going to suffer because of it. Now, there, there's joy in the midst of that, but a lot of the things that people would expect to have happen, you know, P- Paul goes out and he says exactly what God asked him to say. He says, let it be known to you, therefore, my brothers, that through this man, forgiveness, meaning Jesus of sins, is proclaimed to you by this Jesus, everyone. And I think that's sort of the sticking point here is that everyone who believes is set free from all those sins from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And so while he's saying the truth, it is somewhat pointed to folks who didn't believe in that. They they wanted folks that were in and folks that were out and and when Paul preaches this, they're not happy about it. Well, again, you know, we have a church that begins with stuff, suffering. Yeah. Okay. You know, the regime was one where there was, um, you know, uh, oppression. The regime was one where Christians were not necessarily, you know, considered the, the top level, you know, in society. Matter of fact, they, they were hidden for the most part, uh, and they were commanded not to, you know, preach in the name of Jesus, you know. And so they many times were whipped and they were beaten because of their proclamation. So we are living in a fantasy if we believe that suffering is not a part of our heritage, you know, not a part of our history. So uh, and the persecution that actually led to the church leading uh, leaving the church building, if you will, to go into other territories beyond the, the norm. Uh, I like to call what we're going through now, you know, as, a, you know, a, a pandemic of sorts, you know, a pandemic. Uh, back then, it was the pandemic of persecution that led to new beginnings and a new normal, you know, now we're in a different type of pandemic. We're in a medical crisis, which is, which is a pandemic. And all throughout our nation, we see so much social unrest, uh, protests that are going on in the streets, not only in America, but the streets throughout the world. People are locking into the suffering. I believe that the suffering connected the church, Jews with Gentile back in the book of Acts, just like today we see so much of the suffering that's going on in our communities, um, 
um, police brutality that um, uh, we see in uh, the deaths of people like uh, uh, Ahmaud Aubrey, um, Breonna Taylor, and uh, George Floyd. You know, people are locking into that suffering. Uh, and it's causing something phenomenal to happen, which is a new norm. So it seems like these scriptures we're talking about are today. I mean, there, there does, there's not like a, you know, way back then and today. We're still dealing with the same sorts of things, the same sorts of injustices as part of what in Disciple we talk about as the human condition. And so I wanted to uh, really mine some of, of your wisdom and your experience that's clearly different than mine. Uh, about uh, casting a vision, uh, really a uniquely Christian vision, in the midst of continued racism and really beyond racism. Like, let, let's, you know, I'm, I'm praying um, for God to do something new, uh, which is why we named the church Acts 2, um, so that we could uh, be a part of bringing heaven to earth and have this look differently. So, uh, you know, we've covered Acts 1 through 13 uh, as a church over the last month or so. Um, and particularly when we get to Acts 13, I, I want to ask you, um, what does God want us to know in this particular time from these scriptures? I think that this passage in particular is very, very important when we deal with not only the pandemic of the, me- of the uh, medical crisis, but when we deal with the pandemic of, uh, of racism, when we deal with the pandemic of social um, oppression, when we deal with the pandemic of injustices, um, you know, we can either be exhausted and give up. Like I think I told you before, when you first called, Mark, you're calling me at a good time because uh, on Memorial Day, uh, I was just not having it. I didn't want to talk to anybody because again, it seemed as if We're going over the same thing over and over again. But I realized that we can't just resign, you know. Uh, We have to take responsibility for what's happening as believers and as Christians. And uh, we're certainly seeing that in the world uh, today when so many people, and I'm I'm grateful to, to see the number of young people and even older people who uh, a while back wouldn't think of joining a so-called Black Lives Matter movement, are all of a sudden getting engaged, you know, in wanting to make a difference and moving beyond a period of resignation or silence to actually being involved and in becoming a part of the solution. Um, but I think that that is the very thing that Christ would have us to do you know, as followers of Jesus Christ. It's an interesting thing. When you look at that text, you know, um, we, it starts in Acts chapter 11, verse, along about verse 26, where it says, and it's at Antioch that they were first called Christians, you know. So Christians, an interesting word because it's made up or the, the, the root of it is Christ. And we know that Christ is the anointed one. It puts in mind that Jesus Christ, the anointed one, came. And he says this message in Luke um, chapter 4. The spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to the poor. 
you know, to uh, release captives, to uh, uh, recover a sight for the blind, uh, to heal those who are brokenhearted, and to announce that this is the year of the Lord's favor. Amen. So he has come to set the captives free. Acts is a book about freedom and inclusion and equality. That's why Jesus came. And so as the anointed one, he was anointed to do that very thing. Well, guess what? We are Christians. And so that means that we are little anointed ones, if you will. And so our same call has to resonate with what Christ was about when he came to set captives free, to to liberate the oppressed, and to bind up the brokenhearted. Um, so I think that as the world and people throughout the globe are catching fire to be about the works of righteousness and justice uh, in response to the suffering and the pain that's going on in the world, that the church has to be in, uh, engaged in all of this, engaging with the world, but not just uh, taking a back seat, but actually leading the way. So, um if you could expand a little more on, on that concept of anointed ones um, and what that means for us. I'd be glad to. I think, first of all, anointed ones learn to live in resonance, uh, resonance with uh, the, uh, God as revealed through the word and witness of Jesus Christ. Christ when we see in the Gospels uh, and when we hear the stories of how Jesus uh, had a, a, a preference you know, for reaching out to the marginalized and the oppressed and actually walked across uh, gardens and walked across rooms and walked across um, all types of um, places where, uh, you know, the people had water wells and, and uh, people were caught in adultery or there were uh, Syrophoenician women that were coming asking for uh, things to be done on behalf of their loved ones. Uh, Jesus could have turned his back on all of that, but we get the impression that Jesus in word and deed brought a new order. Well, our lives as Christians, as followers of Christ, as anointed ones, must resonate with that. Um, then there's the anointed ones uh, know what to do by way of, of faith, Okay. That means that faith is not just some type of intellectual concept, but it has everything to do with taking risk. You know, it takes a risk to um, move into a new order. It takes a risk to go beyond the status quo. It takes a risk to befriend, you know, somebody that's different than us. That's not always easy, but in the spirit of Christ, the anointed one, uh, we don't go by sight, right? We go by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. So it's important to be willing to take the risk in moving beyond the racial realities that we're experiencing today. I, I think also about um, our spirit of expectancy. You know, so as believers, followers of Christ, as anointed ones, uh, we must follow in that same vein of Christ 
who always was alert to what was happening uh, around the reign of God. Uh, we call it the kingdom of God. And so his message, I mean, the scriptures tell us that Christ came preaching the kingdom yep. of God. He came to take over and he came to set a new standard that was based on his understanding of God's reign in the earth and what it was that the, the Lord would require. And so as long as we're able to stay alert to that and as long as we're able to expect that, then, you know, discouragement will come. I told you a moment ago that, you know, uh, after hearing this series of death and dying and, and having some personal struggles uh, with our family and, and, and quite a few losses there, you know, man, I was exhausted. I had hit a wall, but I had to maintain the expectan expectancy and the hope that God's reign reigns a new day. Amen. You've got to hold on to that hope. Got to hold on to that hope. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Victor, uh, as you know, uh, I'm a white man in suburbia, and uh, I lead a church of a lot of white folks, upper middle class folks, and uh, folks may not say this publicly, uh, but I know privately there's a lot of conversations that go, that go something like this. I don't know what to do. If I say something, I'm probably going to say something wrong and, and get in trouble for that. If I don't say something, then I'm a part of the problem because I'm, I'm being silent I, I just don't know what to do. And so um, I wondered if you might give us a, a word of wisdom about maybe a, a good next step. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me, let me start with um, just again, I alluded to the fact that um, what we are seeing in the world is very, very painful, whether we're talking about pain that comes um, from those who are experiencing uh, this medical crisis of uh, COVID-19, uh, when we think about uh, 135, 100, almost 140,000 lives right here in the United States lost through this dreaded disease. That's painful. That hurts. When we think about the number of people that have lost their lives um, and when our young kids are still asking, mama, daddy, auntie, uncle, pastor, does my black and brown life matter too? It's so important, Mark, I believe, that the church recognizes that the least we can do is to affirm that lives matter. Never allow the lives of those people who are lost in this, this um, uh, pandemic of health, um, loss due to this virus, never allow their lives to just become numbers or expendable because of some type of benefit, even if it is economically uh, expedient. Remember that these were people, 
that matter. And in the same way, we have to remember that the people that are lost due to brutality, violence, racism, um, gunned down in many cases. That police officer in Minneapolis, uh, Derek Chauvin, you know, actually put his knee on the neck of a black man who he obviously, with that smirk on his face, was looking as if he was inferior, he didn't matter, he was not even a human being. The other thing is to learn how to have, um, I, I saw a book in, in your office uh, recently called Crucial Conversations. <laughs> it, it's important to have uh, conversations with one another. And, and sometimes, you know, it will mean walking across the room. It will, will mean it will mean uh, going across town. It will mean, you know, worshiping in a different sacred space and perhaps even learning how to uh, 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 come together uh, in a gathering of prayer with people who don't look like us, who don't think like us, who don't behave like us, heck, who are not even from the same religious background as we are. That's what the uh, the ecumenical and the interfaith uh, community or dialogue is all about. We must live together, you know, as human beings, or as Dr. King said, we'll perish as fools. This is a time where we have to practice the the, the crucial conversation, have the the sacred dialogues in which we can talk with one another and not at one another. You know, who is it going to be with? It could be that coworker. It could be with a person in the grocery store. And if we don't have anybody that looks different from us or thinks differently from us in our grocery store, maybe we need to go somewhere across town to a new grocery store. Right. Just change the routine yeah. and do something differently uh, that would make a difference. But in these conversations, Mark, it's going to be important that we stop passing each other. Right. You know, stop being so easily divided by the labels that are out there. You know, uh, maybe it's not just a, a Republican issue or a Democrat issue or a black issue or a white issue or a brown issue or a red issue. Um, maybe it's not just a middle class or a, a, a lower class issue. Maybe it has everything to do with come to grips with it being a human issue. And because it's a human issue, then I have to look at you as my brother and I have to look at others as my brothers and my sisters, even if our paths have not crossed uh, by meandering, we have to be in intentional about having Paul's pass that cross. And when we come to, together intentionally, then we can have these conversations where we're not looking past or moving past each other as we have been guilty of doing in the past, but we can really hear each other out. The, we, we seek for understanding, not to prove each other right and wrong, right or wrong. Um, so in doing so, these crucial conversations 
means that I have to be willing to hear you when you tell me how you are feeling as if you're being blamed or you're feeling as if you are, are, are not getting what I'm talking about. And you have to, on the other hand, uh, be willing to hear. Or, you know, some cases I, I have many friends who tell me, well, I'm not racist. I don't use the N-word. Oh. Yeah. But, uh, or, you know, I've, I've, I've kind of cried over what's happening in the world and ain't it awful. Well, Mark, time is, is, is time to move beyond just ain't it awful. Mm. You know, I, I, I appreciate your tears, but your tears ought to lead to something that's different. And that's action. Yeah. Remember, they laid hands on them right. and they sent them out. They had to do something, right? Well, and, that, and that's our action step. Right. And I, I do want to thank you yeah. uh, for all of us, myself particularly, but for all of us, right. for stopping, for taking the time to be here, and for having a crucial conversation with us and our ability to share that with our congregation. Well, thank I, you so I, much. I trust that it was helpful. I hope that it was. It is. It is helpful. It's a, it's a step. It is at least an action. And, of course, that's what we see at the close um, of our action step. After fasting and praying, they acted. There you uh, go. That's what the scripture says. Um, they laid their hands on them, sent them off, just like you said. And so um, as we go from this place, uh, remember, we don't just pray and just fast. Those are important. But after or we get just, that done. Or just cry. Or just cry. Yeah. We act. Yeah. As anointed ones. In the name of Jesus, for That's the right. transformation of the world. That's right. Amen. Amen. Brother, thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. Thank you. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.